You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, it's a Tuesday edition of Locked On NBA. Thank you for listening and for subscribing. I'm Wes Goldberg, and I'm here with my co-host, David Vermill, and from the Washington Post, Ben Golliver. We've got a great show for you today. We're going to talk about just how good the Bucks have been and some of the biggest performances from Monday night. But let's start with our first game between the Lakers and the Grizzlies. Mike Conley had 30 points, including some key free throws in the final minute as the Grizzlies put another dent in the Lakers' playoff hopes with a 110-105 to victory over Los Angeles on Monday night. Jonas Valanciunas finished with 20 points and 13 rebounds for Memphis. Memphis. And for the Lakers, LeBron had 24 points, but on 23 shots, plus 12 rebounds and 11 assists, so a triple-double for him. Brandon Ingram finished with a team-high 32 points. The Coos, Kyle Kuzma, had 22, but it wasn't enough. And Los Angeles has now lost four of the last five. Ben, for a team supposedly in the playoff push, uh, they aren't showing very much urgency. It's a mess right now. It's crazy. This playoff bubble race in the West, it really challenges your conventional wisdom in like every direction because it's like, okay, the Clippers, they sold off Tobias Harris at the deadline. That must mean they're they're willing to miss the playoffs and, and keep their pick. Um, well, that's being challenged because they've had a, a nice uh, you know, bounce back here after the break. You look at the Kings, of all the teams in the league who, who you expect to fold and not make the playoffs, it would be the Sacramento Kings given their last 15 years of history. Well, that's being challenged because they're still sticking in this race. And then the safest bet of all would be, okay, LeBron's just going to activate playoff mode. He's just going to take over down the stretch the last two months of the season. The Lakers will squeak in and be able to call that a moral victory for making the postseason, uh, even if they go out in round one against Golden State. Like At least they can check that off their list. And that conventional wisdom that LeBron can just save the day is being challenged in a big-time way right now. I mean, his defense is not nearly where it needs to be. We saw it again against the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, He's not challenging on wide-open dunk attempts down the paint, not rotating out to shooters, not chasing his man out to the arc, giving up wide-open shots. Yes, he gets the triple-doubles on offense, but it's not really mattering because he's not setting the tone on the other end. The playoff LeBron that I remember watching from these last few finals runs, there's chase down blocks, there's at least extra effort. Obviously, he's carrying a huge burden on offense for those Cavaliers teams, but he's doing what he needs to be done on the defensive end, and that's just not happening right now. Uh, You're seeing other sort of wayward contributions from the likes of uh, Rajon Rondo and and some of their uh, other veteran players. Um, So I don't know. Like I felt like this Grizzlies game was almost a tipping point for me. In my mind, up until tonight, I'd still kind of been saying, you know what, LeBron's going to be able to figure this out. LeBron's going to be able to figure this out. I'm not sure he's going to be able to figure it out, guys. And the playoff models, all the projection systems, I mean, they've got the Lakers at, you know, sometimes below 10% to make the postseason uh, at this stage of the season. That's a huge hill to climb. And I know a lot of Lakers fans are sort of, uh, you know, jumping off the bandwagon right now, and I can't blame them. How, how much of this is LeBron still recovering from injury? If you had to ascribe a percentage, how much of that is still him recovering from injury and him, I think, as he's done in the past, kind of testing his teammates and, and kind of gauging their level of interest, to not just through his machinations and social media and through media in general, but kind of gauging their, their abilities. Because we've seen him in the past kind of, um, you know, take a back seat and defer to others in the hope that they'll rise to the occasion. Is this something along those lines where he's he wants to see what he's got out of this roster and whether or not these young players are up for the challenge? 
And, you know, I can see that a little bit, but uh, you can look on that roster all day long. You're not going to be finding a lot of help. I mean, uh, Wes mentioned Brandon Ingram and Kyle Kuzma both played well. I mean, those are the only other guys you can really rely on right now. And I do think there's you know still some lingering issues from his injury. He just doesn't look right. He's not getting to his spots. He got called for some late game charges and he had a couple turnovers, sloppy, uncharacteristic, you know, lose the ball out of bounds type turnovers uh, late in in crucial moments of the fourth quarter against Memphis. So uh, I absolutely understand, okay, LeBron's not 100%. That's a contributing factor here. Um, But, you know, I think there's, there's more than that going on. I mean, clearly the distractions and all the talk here over the last month has really weighed on this team. The chemistry and the effort level that they have collectively, uh, you know, during games, they just don't look like a team. They're a collection of individuals at this point, and it's not a huge surprise given how shamelessly they chased Anthony Davis and how it seems like that's kind of, uh, you know, blown up in their face a little bit. It, it feels like a lot of things are sort of coalescing into one big problem right now. You've got the roster issues that we knew existed since LeBron signed, right? And they kind of constructed this weird thing. Um, they only got seven points off the bench tonight. Like, that's really not good. Um, you've, you've got those contributions from the young guys like Kuzma and Ingram, but obviously there's still some lingering issues there. And, yeah, they're putting up the points offensively. Not anybody, Like, nobody's really doing the work defensively. And uh, then you just also have this lingering issue with LeBron. You know, maybe he's just not 100%. Maybe he can't physically give all of that defensively just yet. I still, I'm not ready to write them off. I, I think I'm crazy. I don't know. I think I gotta go get, like, I gotta check myself because I, I still look at this roster and I'm not super impressed. And then I just see LeBron James is on it. And I'm like, if he could just, we've got like 25 games left, 24 for the Lakers. I don't know what it is for the Lakers exactly, but 20-ish plus games left. If LeBron can somehow engage playoff LeBron and all he has to do is beat out the Clippers and the Kings and maybe Minnesota based on what, what it is that they're doing right now. Um, I, I still think, I kind of think LeBron's got a shot and I just, I wouldn't bet against it. I I don't know if I'm crazy though. No, he's got a shot, but keep in mind, the Lakers do have the toughest remaining schedule. And when you look at the Clippers or the Kings, both those teams have easier remaining schedules by a significant amount than the Lakers do. The Lakers still have to play, uh, you know, the Bucks twice. When you look at the Kings schedule, I mean, there's a lot of really cake teams, you know, bottom of the barrel Eastern Conference teams still remaining for Sacramento to play. So that's another factor here too, because I think it is about 22, 23 games left for the Lakers. That's not a ton of time. They have to make up basically three games uh, in the standings, and they're doing it at a disadvantage because they've got the toughest schedule of any of these teams in this mix. Yeah, I don't really think this will happen, but but how, how foolish would we all feel if, if later on he just single-handedly carries his team into the playoffs and somehow pulls off an upset in the first round? <laughs> <laughs> Well, which teams do you think he could upset? Because it's not going to be Golden State. So he has to get to the seventh yeah, seed, right? that's realistic, too. I was going to say maybe Denver. I mean, but still, I, I would take Denver over the Lakers in a playoff yeah. series without too many, too many reservations or hesitations. And I wouldn't have said that, by the way, you know, even like before the injury. Uh, but I just don't think this team has recovered from that injury very well at all. It's uh, getting really late in the game for them to have a kind of uh, chemistry and cohesion. And I keep waiting for LeBron to to really step up and, and just put everybody on his back. And he hasn't been able to do it, and he's running out of time. Let's go to our next game of the night. Tobias Harris scored 29 points. Ben Simmons had 14 points and 12 assists. And the Philadelphia 76ers narrowly held off the Pelicans 111 to 110. Here's the thing. Anthony Davis played just 21 minutes in a game that was decided by a single point. The Pelicans took him out with about five minutes left in the third quarter, 
and he never re-entered the game. David, I know the Pels aren't really playing for anything anymore, right? But they probably could have won this game with Davis. Yeah, I don't have a problem with the move. Um, I think they're, like you said, they're not really playing for anything. They're not trying to win. Um, they're not trying to kind of add any additional shine to Anthony Davis's uh, season. Uh, I don't see any reason why they should be playing him more. At this point, if you're trying to risk him, in fact, I think they should double down. If you're trying to play him just enough, and this is the argument that I've seen, uh, to prevent him from incurring any kind of an injury, why are you playing him 21 minutes at all? Why not just play him a minute or, or not at all? I mean, just sit him down there and, and see what happens. And and continue to develop the players that you know are going to be part of this team in the future, beyond this season, uh, and and give them something to to kind of hope for and look forward to. And, and I think you've already lost the fan base. What fans were still interested in, in this season, uh, following the whole saga with Anthony. Um, so why not just double down on it and and continue to roll the dice and and see what you've got in this roster and and hope for the best because it's not your future isn't tied to Anthony Davis. You're trying to secure that future as best you can by preventing him from incurring an injury. So why bother playing him at all? Uh, and, and as far as a, a win or a loss against the Philadelphia 76ers, who cares? It doesn't really matter. So it, you're just it's about continuing to develop and mine the talent you have and, and hoping that they'll continue to develop to, to a point where you're, you're a little bit more aware of what you have if you're choosing to keep them as part of the roster in the future. Ben, I feel like all of the conversation lately has been about what the what the Pelicans should be doing. I got I want to ask you, what is have we already reached the peak craziness for what this the situation is? Like could the Pelicans be doing weirder stuff with Anthony Davis's minutes? Can they can this get weirder? Uh I don't know if it can get weirder. I mean, this really feels to me like the compromise that makes everyone upset. Like it doesn't really satisfy anyone. It's like they're not playing him as normal minutes, but they're not playing him zero. But he's not really trying. But, you know, are you winning? Are you trying to lose? I mean, it's just kind of a mess completely. I'm not sure the Pelicans could get any weirder than firing Dell Demps on the Friday of All-Star Weekend, though. I mean, I think that might have been peak weird uh, for their behavior uh, this season. But uh, I kind of like the idea we're floating out here. David's floating out here. It's like, let uh, Anthony Davis play 15 seconds. Let him do the jump ball. Or better yet, keep him off the jump ball so he doesn't get injured jumping. (laughs) And then, you know, as soon as you secure possession, just call timeout and bring him out of the game. I mean, is that what this has come to? To me, it's kind of made a mockery. I mean, this is a top 10 player in the league that we're talking about. Uh, This is such a, you know, just kind of a false uh, pretenses, you know, the way that they're handling this thing. It drives me nuts. I wish he would insist on playing his normal minutes and just at least show that he's the gamer who we thought he was last year. The fact that he's allowed his career to come to this, uh, to me, it speaks of, him losing control of his own situation and him maybe getting some advice that wasn't in his own best interest. I think he's going to look back on this season, whether it's next year, two years from now, you know, five years down the road with some serious regrets. I don't know how he couldn't. That's how messy this has gotten. You know how bands are like go away for like a few years and then they'll just come back and just by the sheer force of them coming back, people are all excited about that. That's what Anthony Davis should do. This is this is a low point of the podcast. We're only like twelve minutes in. You want a reunion tour? Is that what's happening? I want a reunion tour next year between the Clutch Sports clients. It's called Space Jam Two. That's the reunion tour. <laughs> we'll talk about just how good Giannis and the Bucks have been after this break. All right, let's go to our first headline. Giannis did not play against the Bulls Monday night, but the Bucks didn't need him. They won one hundred and seventeen to one hundred and six anyway. 
And so they continue along their 60-plus win pace. Milwaukee is now 24-4 and since Christmas. And Ben, you had a good piece in your Monday Morning Post-Up newsletter. Um, you could subscribe to that on the Washington Post. About just how good the Bucks have been this season compared to some other recent Eastern Conference teams. Can you help us put this in perspective a little bit? Yeah, first of all, great point guard duties by you. You know, shameless plug alert on my behalf. I really appreciate that. Uh, when you're looking at the Bucks, though, they're in some rarefied air. And what I wanted to do was kind of put them in the context of the Eastern Conference because so many of the records that we've seen, you know, here in the last 20 years really have been dominated, obviously, by Golden State recently, but also San Antonio and, you know, some of these other dynasties in the Western Conference where it really kind of skews things for a team like Milwaukee, who, you know, obviously the real question facing them is can they make the finals, right? And so I wanted to put them up against like LeBron's best teams, uh, you know, going back to some of Jordan's best teams, and then all the teams that LeBron kind of had to go through uh, to make the finals here over the last eight seasons. And really what you find is Milwaukee's just some in some incredible company. In terms of their overall point differential, basically the only teams better than them are Jordan's Bulls, and the 2008 Celtics, who obviously won 60 plus games and, and won the title that year, you know, incredible team, uh, you know, with their you know, big three or big four, whatever you want to call it. So Milwaukee has a better point differential than any of LeBron James's, uh, you know, teams, whether it was in Miami or Cleveland, uh, and a better point differential than any of the teams that LeBron had to face here over the last eight years. So that's pretty special. Then you go individually and say, okay, like we know Giannis is a strong MVP candidate, but like just how good has he been? So if you look at his win shares per 48, which obviously tries to measure, you know, kind of like pull together his overall production and and, uh, contributions to winning, there's only two players in the Eastern Conference over the last 30 years who have had more win shares per 48 than Giannis. And guess who they are? Michael Jordan, LeBron James. I mean, so that is the kind of company that we're talking about. Giannis outperforming prime at peak Wade, peak Mello. I mean, whoever else you want to put into that conversation in terms of the best guys in the Eastern Conference here, you know, over the last two decades. And Giannis is right there. And and even when you look at their offense, which has been incredible, I mean, they've already scored 140 points five separate times this season under coach Mike Budenholzer. Over the last 30 years of the Bucks' history, they'd only done that four times combined. I mean, that's just crazy. But if they're, you look at their offensive efficiency, it's basically top three in the Eastern Conference over the last 20 years. The only teams that were better were one of LeBron's teams in Cleveland and then the Toronto Raptors last year, which had an incredibly efficient offensive attack uh, before they sort of melted down into the postseason. So I, I just look at these as lots of indicators, still saying that you know, Milwaukee is a juggernaut. They may finally start to get some of the respect they deserve here coming out of the all-star break with more buzz around Giannis's MVP candidate. And they're, you know, winning, uh, really continuing uh, throughout this month and getting people excited. But still, I think they're undervalued. I think we should be looking at them as the clear kind of consistent and dominant team in the Eastern Conference uh, to this stage of the season. And I would be stunned at this point if they don't make the Eastern Conference finals at minimum. David, do you think that the Bucks are, like, I know that the numbers are sort of backing it up here. They're reflecting that they are as good as LeBron's best Cavalier teams of the last couple of years. The 2016 Cavs versus these Bucks, who would you take? Mm, that's an interesting question. Um, I mean, I, I guess you could say that those Cavs teams were pretty woeful defensively, um, but I, I kind of like Kyrie as a secondary star on that team more than I like Middleton, although I think... 
I actually think that this Bucks cast might be a little bit deeper and a little bit more efficient in that sense. So I, especially with the, the offensive numbers they're putting up. And I mean, I think the edge as far as LeBron James, it might be just slightly over Giannis Antetokounmpo at this point. Uh, I mean, it, it's tough to say. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, I was just arguing as I was listening to Ben so, so proficiently explain why this is such a dominant team. And I kept falling back on they're not quite a proven team when it comes to the playoffs. But then you look at the rest of the Eastern Conference field, and it's I still think that they probably will, to echo what Ben said, at least represent them in the in the Eastern Conference Finals and, and maybe even go on to the NBA Finals. As far as whether or not they match up to that Cavs team, I, I guess I'd still give the Cavs the slight edge, but not by much. Yeah. Yeah, I would too, just because LeBron had that extra gear in the postseason, right? Where mm-hmm. he's always ramping it up. And, and most of those measures that I'm laying out are regular season measures. And I think things like point differential can certainly you know, give you a sense of how well a team will play in the postseason, but not always. I mean, the Raptors from last year are a perfect example where they totally underperformed what their regular season uh, record and, and point differential suggested that they should. Um, but remember, I mean, that 2016 Cavaliers team was really, really special. I mean, they struck gold beating a 73-win Warriors team, which nobody saw coming, and they were, you know, quite uh, dominant and impressive, you know, throughout their postseason run, too. So just the fact that Giannis's Bucks, this team that was, you know, bounced in the first round of last year's playoffs, are now being sort of put on par with a team like that, I think that says something, and I think, you know, that, that should get people to kind of open their eyes and to think, okay, all right, uh, th- these guys really do mean business. And I don't know how good that these these Bucks are going to be, but they, in addition to just Giannis being an absolute killer, right? We ca- we keep talking about how the Warriors are so good, and it's not just the talent, but it's how that talent fits together. The Bucks kind of also get that little advantage where, yeah, they don't have, they don't ha- like beyond Giannis, they don't have that secondary star, but all their pieces fit so well together, and so they got have they have this sort of systematic advantage, this talent fit advantage that I really do think matters. That I don't think really many of LeBron's teams ever exactly nailed. Like I, you know, LeBron's Heat teams and LeBron's Cavs teams obviously had more top end talent than this Bucks team, but the the Bucks with Mike Budenholzer, like it just makes sense and it just fits and everything just flows in a way that is probably you can probably only find in Oakland. A lot of people like to compare these Bucks to Budenholzer's Hawks and say, look, the Hawks kind of got exposed mm-hmm. in the playoffs, like they were a system team too. But if you look right. at like the best of the Hawks offenses, uh, their offensive rating would actually be below average in the NBA this year, right? So they and that was only you know a few years ago. So it's not you know like thrown off by eras or anything like that, right? So they were basically getting by on offense and they had a really good defense is sort of in their best years, right? Uh, Milwaukee has a really good defense, but what they also have is an elite attack with an elite playmaking superstar. And those were elements that the Hawks just didn't have. And so I think that's why they're so unique and they're so difficult to um, kind of try to comp because the only guy in the uh, Eastern Conference who sort of played a similar role to Giannis at any point over the last decades, Ben LeBron, and we've we've seen LeBron owned the entire conference, you know, basically single-handedly for almost a decade, right? So, uh, again, without LeBron there, I think that opens the door wide for Giannis to kind of take that uh, take that throne in the conference. And I also think, uh, you know, just because they haven't done it before doesn't necessarily mean they're they're not primed for a breakthrough here. Right. What we kept saying about those Hawks teams was the fact that they don't have a high-level superstar player to take them the distance in the playoffs. And if these Bucks are like those Hawks teams— 
then they 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 do have that superstar player now, and that is a really big difference. Um, speaking of superstar players, we've got our locked on line of the night coming up after this break. Before we get to our locked on line of the night, let's check in on the other scores from Monday. The Golden State Warriors got 24 points, 11 rebounds, 3 assists, and one ridiculous technical foul call from Demarcus Carzins to knock off the Charlotte Hornets. He threw a shoe. 10. He did, but it was it was it was good reason. I mean, he could have tripped <laughs> up on it. it I, I think it was a stupid call. I can't believe it. Portland was led by C.J. McCollum's 35-point outing to beat the Cleveland Cavaliers 123-110, to and they win their fourth straight game. The Pistons won their third straight as they continued their playoff push, this time a 113-109 win over the Pacers. Brooklyn manhandled the San Antonio Spurs 101-85 as the Spurs lose their third straight and continue to drop in the West Coast standings. The Suns ended a 17-game losing streak with a 124-121 win over some team in Miami. Uh, Milwaukee keeps distancing themselves in the East with a 117-106 win over Chicago. The Bucks were without Giannis but have now won five straight and hold on to the league's best record at 46-14. and James Harden's historic streak of 32 straight games scoring 30-plus points per game ended, but the Rockets managed to eke out a win over the Atlanta Hawks, 119-111, to despite 36 points from Trey Young, and the Timberwolves still in the playoff picture at West, helping their cause with a 112-105 win over the team just above them in the standings, the Sacramento Kings. Do we care that Harden's streak is over? Like, do, Or do we care about the streak? The 32 straight games were 30-plus points per game, Ben? I cared about it. I thought it was interesting. I'm not sure how big of a deal it was. Can we just take a moment to give Carl Anthony Towns a little love? I mean, he comes out of a car accident to put up 34 points, 21 rebounds, and five assists in what you know uh, David rightly pointed out was sort of this playoff jockeying matchup where they, they need a big home win against the Kings, and uh, that's a big-time reply. And he, he was telling reporters he thought he was going to die, and a semi-truck hit their car and everything like that, so... I mean, talk about a, a huge comeback from a concussion from Cat. Well, that leads us right into our locked online of the night because Cat had one of them um, with the 34 points, 21 rebounds, five assists. Kind of sounds like that's what you're going to give it to, Ben. So I'm just going to read off the four other ones that I had prepared here just for the, that's kind of what we do here. Um, Trey Young, 36 points, eight assists, made eight of his 12 three point shooters. CJ McCollum had 35 points, seven rebounds, and two assists. He made seven of eight three pointers. Uh, Mike Conley had 30 points, five assists, and two rebounds, and then those clutch free throws at the end that we talked about, and that went over the Lakers. And then Blake Griffin, 20 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists, and a tri- with a triple double uh, to get the win for the Pistons as they keep climbing up in those Eastern Conference playoffs and separate themselves uh, as far as getting a playoff seed. So Ben locked on line of the night, going to Cat. I give it to Cat. Degree of difficulty coming off a concussion and a car crash and having your Apparently his sister hung up the phone on him because she thought he was prank calling her. That's no that's no fun. And to go out there and put up 36 and 21, incredible. Physical and emotional tolls. David, what about you? I don't know. I'm kind of leaning towards Trey Young there. I, I kind of just want to disrupt the, the rookie of the year chase a little bit. I understand that Ooh. Luka Doncic is everybody's favorite and probably rightfully so. But I think Trey Young probably hasn't been getting enough love and, and he's been doing some phenomenal work. And, and he had a phenomenal night shooting and, and he's got some brilliant passing that a lot of people aren't talking about. But that Atlanta team, I mean, we saw him and, and John Collins at the All-Star break. That's an exciting young core there. They could be fun in a couple of years. I just want to give a shout-out to D'Angelo Russell. 23 points, 7 rebounds, 8 assists uh, as in that win Brooklyn had over the Spurs. I know I, like my job here is to prepare this stuff, and I didn't even put him in there, so I'm like sort of shouting him out like despite myself. 
But I didn't think that D'Angelo Russell would be in, like, I feel like he is sort of in this conversation for Locked On Line of the Night every week. And I had, like, that dude is good. And I know he's an all star. I'm not breaking news here, but I am really impressed with how much better he was from the, what people thought at the start of the season. But my Locked On Line of the Night also goes to Carl Anthony Towns. I'm not going to try to break the mold here. That was ridiculous what he did. And to get it in a win, in a much needed win, in order to put themselves back into playoff position, they are tied in the loss column now with the Lakers. So if we keep talking about the Lakers playoff chances, do we think that the Lakers are a legitimate playoff team? We basically have to talk about Minnesota the same way because they're right there. And uh, they have a guy like Carl Anthony Towns who is playing out of his mind right now. So um, just good on him, I guess. That's all we have for today. Thanks for subscribing to Locked on NBA. If you like us, leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Remember, when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play the podcast Locked on NBA. We'll be back here next Tuesday. You can catch us over at Locked on Heat for the rest of the week. Thanks to Ben Golliver for jumping on. Make sure to check out his work over at the Washington Post. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.